Hey, Zach, welcome back. Uh, thanks hey, for joining definitely. me on the podcast again. I appreciate it because today we're going to jump into the signs that your brain is healing from a porn habit or porn addiction. So uh, without further ado, let's jump right in because I know people, people ask me all the time, how do I know? How do I know I'm actually getting better? And I'm going to say the number one sign is you will, in fact, feel it. People mm-hmm. can feel their brains. And, you know, once it, in, it requires you to gain self-awareness on how your how your state feels and your emotional correlates of your brain function. But in fact, you can feel it coming online. And I know some of the things we're going to talk about are our behaviors or, you know, you can feel better control of your brain. Right. Well, for me, my favorite sign was the ability to start saying no, which seems simple, but when you're an addict, it's not so simple. I remember there were times I was praying and begging God. I was like, God, just take this away from me. I don't want to do this anymore. And then I kept doing it. And I desperately wanted, just wanted it taken away, but it didn't get taken away. Right. I had to learn how to say no. I had to learn how to overcome my own, my own problems. Right. And so one of the things that I saw was an increase in the times I was able to say no and an increase in the times where it was tough, where I was, where I was like really wanting to look at porn Mm -hmm. or masturbate. Mm -hmm. And as I go ahead, did you want to say something? No, I'll, I'll share in a second. Right. And so, and so as I, began to see myself saying no more often and in tougher situations. Um, I realized looking back that all the times that I would go a day without looking at porn and then screw up the next day or a week without looking at porn and screw up the next week. And I felt like a failure. I was like, it wasn't a failure. I was practicing the skill of saying no. And it's a practice skill. And the more I did it, the better at it that I got. And so that was one of the coolest things to see for me that my brain was healing. And I think it's a good sign for people if you're able to say no, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. And so one, one thing to share is that that's why I tell people to get the Muse headband if they are just so stuck and they can't get out of the loop is that it does go back to your brain performance. I know what you're thinking. Everything goes back to brain performance. It does. So everything goes back to it. And so if you're really stuck, you do have to practice the skill, but we all know that that those first times can be really, really difficult. So if you're just trying so hard and you're not gaining any traction there, it means your brain's really far in the extremes. And if you start using the Muse headband, and I'll make sure we put the link below in this podcast. And and just so you know, too, if, if anybody's listening out there and you're interested in the headband, on drtrishlee.com, if you go to the Brain Training 101 page or you go to the Home Neurofeedback Coaching page, in the middle, there's a blurb about the headband and you can get the 15% off. There's a link right in that page. So that's an easy way to find it too. But the point is that it brings your brain more out of those extremes towards that medium speed and into the middle and you gain more control over the ability to be able to start building the skill of saying no. So we can really help people get over those initial cravings and urges. And the reason being is the headband works the frontal lobe. It also works the temporal lobes where the reward center is. But when you have difficulty with impulse control or controlling compulsions and being able to say no, that's coming from your frontal lobe. And when you use the headband, you're training 
that muscle, you're literally doing bicep curls for the muscle of the frontal lobe to make it stronger so that now when it's time to say no, you have a stronger muscle and that's why it works. So when people get stuck or jammed up in the 90 day program and they, you know, they'll email me, they're like, I just can't do this. I can't even watch a video. I can't even move forward. Just use the headband for 30 days. And when people do that and then they come back, they can engage because that frontal lobe is getting stronger over time. Right. And the way that I discovered it was through mindfulness as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I like, I, once again, because I'm a dork, the way I think <laughs> about it is third person view of yourself versus first person view of yourself. So for people who play video games, for instance, if you are playing a character where you're seeing through their eyes and you have like a gun in front of you, that's a first person view, right? But playing a video game where it's a third person view, you have the camera above the shoulder of the person you're playing and you can actually see the person. You're not seeing through their eyes, you're seeing down onto their shoulder into their body, right? So developing this way, when you have this desire that rises up to go from your first person where you're just seeing and experiencing and pulling out of your brain and kind of looking over your own shoulder and saying, you're looking down at yourself and you're saying, Zach, Mm -hmm. what are you doing? Like, you don't want to do this. You, you have all the consequences in the past that have happened. You have consequences in the future. And so it's actually kind of pulling out of yourself for a second. And it sounds kind of trippy, but our brains are nuts. The fact that we can do that's amazing to go from a first person view to a third person. And that's kind of what happens when you begin to say no, is that you can pull out of yourself. And that's how the Muse headband helps is it kind of shows you, it helps you practice with that go from first person to third. Yeah, that's sweet. And, and just so you know that uh, neuroscience supports the idea that when you call yourself by your name, instead of thinking of yourself as me or I, when you're motivating yourself using your own name. So going to third person and using your own name, like you got this Trish, you know, when I, if you, if I'm nervous about something and I go, you got this Trish, that's actually more powerful than saying, I got this. And it supports that idea is you're, you're taking yourself out. And that is a meditation technique too, is being able to see your own thoughts and realize that you're not the thinker of all those thoughts. And that's why I like using the hijacker analogy too, because if you think of yourself as Zach, And the hijacker, the one who's telling you to go watch porn, you can dissociate from those thoughts as your own. And also realizing, too, like the hijacker is going to speak to you first in those moments. So when you hear that voice, that's not you. That's the hijacker. So then Zach has the ability to go. No way, dude. I'm not doing it, dude. I know you want us to. And I know you've been running the show. I'm running the show now. And, and, you know, going to that third person as, you know, Zach's running the show, not the hijacker can really help people. And I know people I've worked with will, will give the hijacker a name, will give them a whole persona like a video game avatar or a character. And so that when that happens to them during the moments where they need to say no, they can visualize who's talking to them instead of themselves, making it much easier to go to third person. And something I say in my videos a lot, and I started to talk about it, I forgot the movie that it was in. Um, and the movie was Unchartered. I went to see Unchartered with my my son, Seamus, who likes movies, mm-hmm. um, a couple of weeks ago. And in there, they show 
uh, you know, Tom Holland, whoever's in it, Marky Mark actually doesn't go by Marky Mark anymore. Mark Wahlberg. He cut, they cut the brakes. Cause I said uh, in one of my videos, I'm like, do they actually cut brakes? Do brakes even have like brake cables anymore in cars? I don't know that they do, but when you can't say no, it's like the brake cable has been cut between your frontal lobe and the reward center in the midbrain. So the brakes are off. You don't have the brakes. You, what you have to do is, is rewire that brake cable between the midbrain and your frontal lobe to be able to exercise the no in those compulsions or those impulses. And so you really do have to heal your brain because if your brake cables just completely cut, it'll be almost impossible to say no. And you can heal your brain using your actions and your behaviors and your thoughts. It's just a lot more difficult if you're in the box. You know how that goes so many times you can't you can't even see what is going on with you, never mind what you need to do to be able to heal yourself when you're in the box. And that's why coaching is so powerful because you have an out-of-box view that is able to help you see the things that need to be done and be able to hold you accountable for it. Right. And just to put a bow on it before we move to the next one, once again, showing my dorkiness, <laughs> Uncharted, the game, is in third person. So you want to be like Tom Holland from Uncharted because that's a third person point of view. Boom. Yep, yep. Exactly. It that's love it. Bow. I love it. That's the way you want to do it. <laughs> so the second thing that I think is a really good sign that your brain is healing is a decreased desire for porn. So because of Delta Foss B, and I know you've talked about it, it's kind of like concrete, you know, I don't know if the desire ever completely goes away, but it will decrease significantly. And the nice thing is, is if you look at our first point, being able to say no, it makes being able to say no even easier because the desire for porn decreases both in consistency, how often it's happening, and also in intensity, how how hard that desire is, right? So to me, that's that's the second best thing about getting away. Yeah, I love it. it it's a giant and you can make it a sleeping giant instead of it being a giant. That's a monkey on your shoulder all the time. You can make it a sleeping giant. And you know, that's why I always say you got to put the foundation in place so you don't wake the giant, mm. but uh, you can put that guy to sleep for sure. Right. So the third thing that I think uh, is super interesting, and it'll be interesting to hear your take on it is you have a decreased you have a decrease in warped tastes. So if you're like me and you've been watching porn since you were 13 or 14, the problem is that a lot of the tastes you develop, you don't think of them as degrading. You're just like, oh, yeah, this is just a thing you do, right? But they end up developing in a way that's unhealthy to the point where you want to do that with a person, a real actual person, right? You develop mm -hmm. fetishes that you didn't have before you wouldn't have had. And, you know, some of the critics that say porn isn't that bad for you. One of the things that they'll say is, well, what, what's nice about porn is that it confirms your sexuality. It confirms your taste. It helps you to explore the taste that you had built inside you. That's actually wrong. What it does is it warps the taste that you have. How do we know this? So there are studies showing that people that are homosexual will begin, if they've been watching porn long enough, they'll begin watching uh, heterosexual sex and that heterosexual people will start watching uh, homosexual sex. I wanted to make sure I didn't yep. <laughs> get those backwards. So 
it begins to warp what your tastes actually are. You do have innate tastes and pornography over time warps those tastes. So what you'll see in your own life is that when you get with the person that you're with, you're, you're, the desire to do some of the degrading things, some of the things that are a bit more warped, those things decrease. A lot of them decrease. And you desire sex that's actually healthy and that's actually uplifting to both parties. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. And that's so important. And the difficult thing for so many people that I work with is they don't even know what they actually like. Mm -hmm. Because it's been so long and it's been so varied and it can really, if, you know, dear listener who's listening, if this doesn't resonate with you, I'm super glad because a lot of the people I talk to, their experiences, it takes them so warped and dark side that it scares them Mm -hmm. and that some of the thoughts that they have terrify them even more so they do things with real human beings that they never thought that they would either cheat on their wife to be with people that they have been consuming in, in porn that they would never do. And it destroys their lives. And they don't even, they're in that narcissistic bubble. They don't even see that they're doing it until it's late. And that's a terrifying thing. Or people will act out in different ways because of what you originally said it makes them want to go to do those things with other human beings. And there's actually a study on prostitution, not that we need a study on it, but that's saying that prostitutes say that the people that they're with just want to do things they've seen in porn. It's, It's the number one reason that people use prostitutes because those are the people who are being paid to do the things that are in porn, which clearly is not healthy sexuality. But that's why people will act out in that way or now online in other different, you know, variety of ways we won't go into, but it leads you in that direction. And you don't even see you're being led by a chain in that direction. You just think it's your, your next natural interest. And going back to, you know, what you were saying is that if you, if you peel the layers all the way back and you go back to when you found porn, if you didn't find it, you wouldn't have those interests. And then they wouldn't have developed into these fetishes and into these other aspects. And that's the tough part because then when people leave porn behind, they don't know what it looks like, like what does sex look like for them or what should it look like? And, you know, we have a lesson in the program on that, but really it's, you have to figure out. And that's why I tell people who develop fetishes, like if a fetish, especially one that you've had for a really long time, if it's really, really intricately kind of buried into your arousal template, because what we're talking about is an arousal template. And if it's something that your partner, you know, is okay with and can derive enjoyment from, then keep it in. But if it's something that has gone dark side and it's warped and it's distorted and it's not good for you and it's not good for your partner, then you have to take steps to unwire those neural pathways that you've been using over and over and over and over. And so there's people who fall into those different categories, but if it can be kind of combined and put into your healthy arousal template, it can be easier for people. And what that does is it can keep arousal higher. And and actually I encourage people to do that as long as it's healthy and your partner doesn't mind it and actually enjoys it would be better because then what you can do, and I know some people might not want to hear this, but then what you can do is you can actually make sex very arousing for you because you've hit some of your high arousal templates within your actual sex life. And so, you know, but if, if you've gone to a really dark place, you know, I work with so many people who, who develop same sex attraction and 
who have, you know, now they call it homosexual OCD, which there's no discussion of porn when they talk about those quote unquote diagnoses, which frustrates me at best would be a good way of saying it because I talk to people and they're like, I feel like I'm attracted to men, but I never really was. But, and then a lot of the people will act out with men and really because they're being led there by porn, but then they're like, I didn't like being with a man, a man being with a man. And, and I'm like, your, your brain is just linked to that type of arousal within the screen. Doesn't mean you want to experience that in your, in your real life. If you can leave that behind in the screen, those neural pathways will unwire. And I wanted to just make one more point and then we can move on is that it's called Hebb's law neurons that fire together, wire together, and it's use it or lose it. So you use it or you lose it. The use it is Hebb's law neurons that fire together, continue to wire together and they become stronger and more ingrained. The lose it is called anti hebbian learning theory doing the opposite. Stop using it. And those neural pathways are going to unwire and they're going to die off. And so you have to, you know, number one, you have to go get out of the screen. Number two, you have to get out of fantasy. And that's why I think fantasy is a big part of the discussion because people will fire up those neural pathways in lower levels and will get a similar type of neural response of that dopamine deluge that happens and, you know, just keep traversing those pathways. But if you stop traversing it, what happens is you, just to just to finish this piece up is that what Hebb's law says is neurons that fire together wire together to get you the reward and in this case it's the feedback loop you're moving towards the reward of all that dopamine and that's a massive reward for the brain so when you stop doing that and you have to retrain your brain that the reward is lower but it's healthier and it's that healthy neurochemical cocktail you change that negative feedback loop of needing more and more porn, more intensity, more frequency, consistency. And what you do is you create a positive feedback loop. And what we do in my program is create the positive feedback loop that takes you into the world to get those neurochemicals from your life. Mm, That's good. That's good. Do you want to do one more or two more? What do you got? Tell me what they are. Let's, uh, let's make a decision. (laughs) We, well, I've got uh, increased attraction to partner and uh, for people that have, have been watching porn for longer periods of time, hopefully your erections will come back uh, stronger, easier, delayed ejaculation becomes a, uh, less frequent. Yeah, well, let's talk about them together because honestly, they go hand in hand. Sure. Well, so the thing about, I've, I've always been trying to think of an analogy for what a to make me feel bad <laughs> technically <laughs> about what my wife is going through. Cause sometimes I have a disconnect of like, Oh, well I'm designed as a man to, to feel this way, but I try to like get myself in her shoes. And so this is the best I could do. Yeah, cool. If she, from the age of 14, she was watching documentaries on Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and mm-hmm. expected me to make the kind of money that they're making and to be the success that they are. I wouldn't be able to fulfill that fantasy for her. It's, it's literally impossible. It's mm-hmm. literally impossible. There's only a small percentage of men that have been able to reach those kinds of heights. Yeah, uh, I if like she it. was comparing me to Elon, I probably will never launch a car into space. Right, <laughs> it's exactly. probably never going to happen. <laughs> and so how am I going to put myself in a mental state where I'm decreasing my attraction to her and decreasing my enjoyment of her because I'm watching people that get 
physically, they get surgeries to physically look a certain way. There's certain camera angles that are used. And like you said, they get paid to do things that no one finds enjoyable, only the person watching it. And so having an increased attraction to my wife and is, is one of the best signs of healing um, when, when you're looking at getting away from porn. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really cool because again, you know, your brain is recalibrating itself back to healthy, normal, you know, or, or a lot of times above average human beings who are, are real. And, you know, I won't wax and wane too much, but that's it, you're unwiring your brain from the screen. It's, it's fake, you know? Right. And again, right, right, right. It, it's, it's just not a, an expectation. And I think, you know, we can use examples in the media and not that I think Tiger Woods is a great example, but he's admitted that he had a sex addiction mm-hmm. and, you know, his wife was gorgeous and he's acting yeah. out with other people. He's got an absolutely beautiful, you know, wife that he could have been with. And instead he's acting out because his brain just needed novelty, needed different, mm-hmm. needed, you know, people who do things that healthy women don't want to. Like if your wife doesn't want to do the things that you see in porn, that's a very good sign that you have a, an emotionally healthy partner. And, you know, a lot of people have partners that are emotionally unhealthy and, and are, you know, doing some of that. But if your partner doesn't want to, that's a good sign. Cause when you come back from it, you have a high chance of developing a healthy sex life, but your brain has to recalibrate to, to the world, not to, not to top gun with those zip up, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> not yeah, to yeah. top up with the zip up jumpsuits. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Well, and, and so this leads into the consequences of, of, watching pornography. So men weren't evolutionarily designed to see thousands of women, naked, beautiful women in their lives. They weren't like King Solomon and Genghis Khan were probably the only two men pre high speed internet that saw thousands of beautiful naked women. So we weren't designed that way as men. And so our brains Taken all this visual stimuli and then things like delayed ejaculation and orgasmia um, and erectile dysfunction. So these things then happen because it's like, this isn't enough stimulation when it should be like a healthy person should be able to see uh, a beautiful woman that they're about to sleep with and everything should work right for, for the vast majority of people, as long as yeah, it's definitely. Not and you know, it, and problem. honestly, it's totally different. If like, if you were like, let's just say you go to a nude beach mm-hmm. and there's a thousand beautiful women there. That's yeah. actually a totally different experience than a screen where you are just high speed clicking through mm-hmm. whatever you want to see next with, you know, with sexual acts that are just, mind literally brain blowing in terms of desensitizing the reward center. So even, you know, that's why people make the argument with the Coolidge effect where, you know, novelty is something that is sought after with, Mm -hmm. with men, men want novelty, Mm -hmm. but the reality is like, that's not normal at all. It's not, it's not healthy at all. And if it were happening in the real world, it wouldn't even be the same as it is with high speed internet, because the discussion, if high speed internet was never, invented, the discussion today would be different too. If it was old school, you know, classical type of porn and sex addiction, the internet really, the internet Mm -hmm. ramps it up just in a different way. It's literally 
frying the reward center in your brain because of the high speed internet uh, component of it. I was talking to a guy yesterday, it must've been two days ago. And he's like, I remember 1998 when I had to, when I wanted to download an image, it would take five minutes. It would go. (laughs) And he's like, now all I have to do is click, 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 click. And that Mm. clicking really is a problem. And when you click what you get, that's why Mm. I always call it the easy button. Someone's cute on YouTube. They're like, stop saying that Staples is going to sue you. I'm like, Mm. if Staples sues me, it's going to be a beautiful day because they'll care that I (laughs) say like that means so many people have seen it. But it really is like your brain is taught. I hit a button. I click into a new screen and I get triple the amount of dopamine I had in the last one. And that's how escalation happens. And that wouldn't happen even in a harem. You know what I mean? Like a harem would just be lower level stimulation. Right. And what I'm, what I'm not saying is that men aren't designed for novelty because men are designed for novelty, but you can obtain healthy novelty in numerous different ways. Sleeping with your wife in a different room every day, like Mm -hmm. your brain doesn't know the difference in the novelty. Mm -hmm. It's, it's that that's, um, uh, you know, there's a variety of things I don't want to get into as far as like to trigger people. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think of non-sexual things. Well, that well, no, like, people, you know, whatever like, you're doing in the screen, you can create and lower levels. Right, so different right. acts, different right. genres, like, you know, right. if you and your partner want to exactly. keep it in healthy ways. You know, oh, that's yeah. why when people actually, I haven't had anybody tell me that I'm a major buzzkill lately. I'm like, I'm not a buzzkill because mm-hmm. what I'm saying is stop going to the screen for fakeness of this. And get a little creative and create that in your own life because it's there for the taking. And if you're in the screen, you will never do that. And it will not suffice because of the dopamine levels. So Mm -hmm. you have to stop going in the screen. So a takeaway could be, and this is loaded though, I will tell you most stuff we say within this subject is loaded is that Mm -hmm. taking away from what you is, is in your arousal template right now. What do you like? That's that you could take out of it and make it healthy and make it part of your experience. But of Mm -hmm. course, if you don't, if you can't parse out what's healthy and what's not, you can't do that. That's the loaded part, but figuring out what you can incorporate. And, you know, that's why that when porn's involved in relationships, it really screws up sex lives because women get annoyed. Like you said before, when we were talking about your wife in uh, the previous podcast where, you know, women know. And they know it's all, it's weird. They might not know what you have going on, but they know this is getting weird, (laughs) you know? And so then the weirdness isn't healthy at all. And it makes them not want to have sex with their partner. So Mm -hmm. women go hyposexual and they don't want to be with you because it got weird. So when the weirdness goes away and you can make it fun and enjoyable, and of course, communication, people can get back on the same page and you can have that novelty. And I love that. I think that's a really good way of doing it. And so many couples are missing the boat on that. Right. Right. And another guy that I talked to actually was the same guy. Hopefully he doesn't mind me sharing anonymously because um, a lot of people tell me this, but you know, he was sharing that his wife was kind of doing sexy things again towards Mm. him, like texting him. And, you know, this happens for a lot of people that as the junk falls away in this situation, the spice of life comes back a little bit and that, and you can encourage it back and do things in the right direction. Yeah, it can be changing outfits, different hair color. Like there's so many ways that it can feel novel. It can feel new and exciting, but you can still connect with the person that you're with. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. And then then erectile dysfunction goes away. 
And, but you have to work at it. So we, we, we should talk about erectile dysfunction, like a whole podcast episode. We should put that on the list because um, I know so many people struggle with it and they'll take Viagra. Um, Somebody just put a comment, wanted to know what I thought about Roman wipes, which I didn't even know about. I looked them up. It's benzocaine. It's just a numbing agent to keep you going because you can't. And clearly those things are band-aids. That's like, that's going to get you through the night, but that's not going to heal your brain and your body and move you forward off into the sunset of a great sex life. So the real deal is it takes time to resensitize the reward center and to reestablish that breaking system so that Mm -hmm. you can make good judgments and feel good Mm -hmm. about a healthy sex life. It takes time, but you know, you can feel it moving. You can feel your brain, like just to go back to the initial thing and then we'll wrap it up. You can feel those things coming online because your behaviors change. You're able to say no. You have more fun with your partner. You don't have erectile dysfunction. You can feel your thought system come back online and you're no longer thinking about distorted thoughts or you have warped thinking about what you want to make happen for yourself. And you can literally feel your brain healing itself and you know, you know, you're moving in the right direction. And if you, if you have no sense of that, you've never experienced that, I would encourage you to get in a program because it's there for Mm -hmm. the taking. And like we've talked about, I've put to the program together that I offer because it includes every piece that you need to investigate for a solution. And um, if you haven't started to do that, the headband's a great resource to fire up your your frontal lobe and re- reward center again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, thanks for joining me again, Zach. Oh, you have wrap, have something I, to wrap I up. I just had one last analogy and then yeah, great. Uh-huh. so going with what you were saying about people just kind of don't know what they don't know. Right. And the dude that's watching porn regularly is like a fish that is on the side of a pond that's not in the water He's like, I've got all this freedom. All you other fishes are suckers staying in that water. Like, I'll do whatever I want out here. And then the the fish in the water are like, okay, bro, well, we're going to chill in the water. You yeah, can see yeah. how that works out for you. So totally. it seems like, hey, we're telling you, you got to confine yourself. And it's like, you do, but there's freedom in the water. Getting out of the water is not real freedom, right? And that's what's damaging you. So it seems confining, but it works. It does. Getting away from this stuff makes your life better. Yeah. And you know what? It's actually what people want, but they're afraid to admit that they want because inherently we all want to be loved and we all want to be accepted. We all want to have people in our world to connect with, and we don't want to be abandoned by people. We want love and connection. That's what it's about. And when you take yourself and you put yourself in the water and you convince yourself that the screen is better than tying yourself down to one ball and chain, the reality is there's freedom in that relationship. There comes the intimacy and the vulnerability and the fun and pleasure your brain is looking for. You've just, if you're so sucked into it, your distorted thinking is making you think the land is better for a fish instead of the water, but you actually want the water. You're going into the screen to get fake water. It's a mirage. You're, you think you're getting the water, but you're not, you're toasting yourself. And uh, you know, th- this stuff runs deep. It's not shallow. This stuff is so deep when it comes to the psychological processes behind it that, and it goes back to brain mechanism, but you know, the water is where it's at. I love that. That's great. All right. Thanks for joining me again. Appreciate it. And um, if you are looking for help on your journey, go over to drtrishley.com. And until next time, uh, thank you, Zach. Thanks for joining me. I'll talk Thanks. to you. Bye. Okay.